to talk about um, prayer. Um, Shannon alluded to the fact, or maybe I alluded to the fact that we were going to talk about prayer for the next wee while. Um, but one of the things that I love, one of, you know, um, when it comes to prayer, a little does a lot. When it comes to faith, a little does a lot. When it comes to asking God for things, a little does a lot. We only need the faith of a mustard seed in order to move mountains. Well, that's pretty interesting. That's quite, um, that's quite challenging to me because for me, that means that maybe I don't even have the faith for a mustard seed. But we have to believe as, as a group of believing people that when we pray to God, there's the ability to change situations. Prayer moves mountains. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. So um, I wanted to talk about a couple of the functions or a couple of the ways that we can use prayer. Because I don't know about you, I see some of the stuff that's happening in the world. Um, Charlottesville is a, a really great example and, and sort of the stuff, you know, where you've got two opposing groups of people, um, then one or two people in power say something that's really unhelpful and, and suddenly um, it flares up. Um, and suddenly there's all kinds of stuff that, um, that happens as a result of that. But um, there's a couple of functions for prayer. And we sort of look at things like Charlottesville, we look at things like the refugee situation... And from us in New Zealand, I mean, it can look kind of hopeless for us. Well, what can we do? How can we affect this? Uh, how can we affect this huge, this huge situation and these huge things that are going on in our world? See, the thing is, is that we might not necessarily be able to do that, but we know someone who does. And so, um, the thing that I wanted to talk about today is if you wanted a title, if you're writing notes, um, I've, I've written down Prayer Moves Mountains. That's going to be like the title of the whole series. I hope that's okay. I'm not going to speak about moving mountains today. All right. But what I'm going to speak about today is a couple of the functions. I want to speak about uh, the, the message that I've got is called Content and Extent. So that's, a, that's the two functions, Content and Extent. See, it's pretty easy to look in our world today and see situations that are in contention. We see conflict. We see two opposing forces. We see people in competition. Charlottesville is one that I can think of. Um, The refugee crisis in places like Syria, Somalia, Sudan, and other at-risk areas in the world. And we um, we think that we can't do anything. But we have to understand is that prayer is powerful. It changes things. Not only that, our prayer and the way that we pray, it actually has the ability to reprogram us. So prayer, in essence, is a way of reprogramming. Not only the situation, not only contending and asking God for something, but also asking for perspective and asking the way that we approach situations. See, two functions of prayer. One is to contend, to intercede for. That's one function. The other one is to bring heaven to earth. To extend the kingdom of God, its influence and its characteristics. See, the thing is, is that when you've got someone that contends in a way that's kingdom focused, it's easy to recognize kingdom when people are kingdom focused because um, it's easy to recognize kingdom living. It's easy to recognize kingdom speech. It's easy to recognize kingdom people. So the people that love God because they'll speak differently. Because they'll live differently. Because they'll contend in a different way to the, that the world would contend. 
So the first thing I wanted to say today is that I really feel that we need to contend, and prayer is one way that we do that. Now, um, to contend means to strive or compete for. It means to stand up for. One of the, um, one of the ways or one of the definitions of contend um, it comes from the Greek athleo, which, which literally means to wrestle. Okay? It's where we get the word athlete from. All right? So if we're going to contend for something, what that means is that we're going to wrestle with it. We're going to compete for it. We're going to take a stand on behalf of. Okay? But we don't necessarily need to stand on a soapbox. We don't necessarily need to rattle our swords. We don't necessarily need to, okay, guys, we're going to get a mob together. We're going to get, a, um, we're going to get some fire. And we're going to chase Charlie out of the church because I think that she's just a horrible person. <laughs> That's not true, and we wouldn't do that. See, that's just a mob mentality. Oh, the boys are like, okay, onto it. Thanks, Dad. All right. <laughs> so we need to contend in the natural. We need to be able to speak up for stuff which is important to speak up on. It's important that even when it comes to really difficult um, topics, when it comes to awkward topics, when it comes to politically incorrect topics, it's important that the Christian voice is heard. It's important that the Christian voice is heard in such a way that's not necessarily politically correct, because I don't know if you know or not, but Christianity is not politically correct. <laughs> if you're trying to make it politically correct, you're dumbing down something that God never intended to be dumbed down. But I also believe that it's possible to speak the truth in such a way that people are able to accept it, it's able to be palatable to them. And to be honest, if you're at the point where you're about to... Um, you're about to speak out something that's not going to be in love. If you're at the point where you're, um, you're going to speak out something that might not necessarily be glorified, then perhaps, a bit like a loaded gun, don't point it at someone that's going to hurt them. So if you're still wrestling with something, if you're contending with something, if you don't know something, my, my suggestion is, is actually, if you're going to contend with something, wrestle with someone that's not going to, that's not going to hurt them. So if you're dealing with something... If you're feeling hurt by something, if you're not sure where you stand on a, on a situation or on a, um, or on a topic, maybe point yourself towards God rather than pointing yourself towards the, the representative that you're still trying to, to figure out, right? There was this famous Marlon Brando film. Everyone thinks that Rocky said this. Do you know who Rocky is? Like... Sylvester Stallone, he's like always beaten up. He's like, Adrian! Like, that, you know, Sylvester Stallone, he mumbles. Like, hey, how's it going? That's Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> All right? Everyone thinks that Sylvester Stallone says this thing, I could have been a contender. It wasn't actually Rocky. It wasn't actually Sylvester Stallone. It actually comes from a movie. It was a Marlon Brando movie. Okay? Who knows who Marlon Brando is? Completely lost everyone. Okay, that's great. So Marlon Brando is, um, he, he's the... Um, Here's the guy on The Godfather. You come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. Anyway. But for Marlon Brando, he was a boxer. Uh, in this as particular movie, it's called On the Waterfront. Um, it, it comes to one of the most famous lines of all time. It says, I could have been a contender. So he was a boxer. And what, what happened was that um, he was asked to take a dive. So he was, asked to, um, he was asked to basically lose at a specific point in time. So that um, he could get some money. 
And so he sold himself out. So he, when he could have stood up and he could have been a contender, when he could have been someone that um, helped to win the competition, he actually sat down and he, um, he did that. Anyway, this is, this is the um, thing. So it's a, it's a washed-up boxer turned longshoreman who's saying it to his brother, Charlie. Charlie is an ethically challenged lawyer who works for Johnny Friendly, Cobb, the brutal mobster who runs the local sailors' union. After Terry witnesses a fellow longshoreman murdered by Friendly's thugs, Friendly tells Charlie to make sure Terry sticks to the union's D&D code, which is short for deaf and dumb. All right, that's important. When Charlie presses Terry about this and even threatens him with a gun, Terry is shocked. It reminds him how Charlie had forced him to throw a big match and end his boxing career years before at the orders of the same gangster. In one of the most memorable scenes in film history, Terry expresses the pain that he feels. You were my brother, Charlie, he says. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care for me just a little bit. So I wouldn't have to take them dives for the short end money. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum. That's what I am. I think we all need to be contenders. I think that we all, when we see situations that are not okay, when we see situations that we might not necessarily agree with, we actually need to contend. We need to compete for them. We need to be able to make sure that our, uh, not necessarily our point of view, but people know that there's a different point of view available. It's okay to contend. It's okay to compete. But we need to do it in public and in <coughs> private. And most of all, we need to make sure we keep our love on at all times. So how do we do that then? Well, this is the thing, is that I really feel that we're not contending with people. We're contending for people. We're not contending with people. We're not, our role as Christians is not to fight against people who aren't Christian. That's a, that's a, terrible, that's a, that's a terrible goal. Our goal is to contend for people. When we see people who are hurting, when we see people who are lost, when we see people who are broken, we need to be able to contend for them. That means that we need to be able to stand up and speak up for them so that they know that there's actually a different way to live than the way that they might currently be living. And we can do that in such a way where we can do it with love, we can do it in a way that shows hope, we can do it in a way that it's not going to be winning an argument, it's going to be starting a conversation. Yeah, that's good. All right? <coughs> I mean, one of, one of the really famous passages in the Bible, and I, I really love it, is that our fight is not against flesh and blood, so our fight is not against people. We're not called to fight against people. Mm-hmm. But powers and principalities. Our role and our job is to bring, um, bring heaven to earth. Okay? It might not always be popular... It might sometimes be a little awkward, but it's still important that we stand up and we're not part of the D&D club. No, wait. Not Dungeons and Dragons, but the deaf and dumb club. If I don't don't engage, then I'm not going to offend anyone. My my favourite contention, my favourite competition, it's my favourite children's church story ever, is actually actually the great barbecue cook-off on Mount Carmel. All right. No, no, no. Okay, it's like Master Chef Old Testament edition. Okay, so in the one corner, you've got the one, the only. Like at this point, he's literally the only prophet that's still speaking about God and for God. There's other people that still believe, 
But at this particular point in time, they're hiding in a cave a couple of chapters back. And that's where he left them, in a cave a couple of chapters back. They're hiding, worried for their life. So in the red corner, (laughs) fighting on behalf of God, weighing in at, I don't know, probably 160 pounds because they're smaller back then. We have Elijah in the blue corner, fighting for the prophets of Baal, Uh, fighting on behalf of Baal. We have the prophets of Baal, 400 and, weighing in at about four and a half tons, because there's 450 of them. It's the prophets of Baal. <laughs> and so there's this showdown. And um, I really love this showdown, because you've got this one faithful person versus, like, this mob. And I'll just read out the story, and I've got a couple of thoughts around it, okay? Is that, is that okay? Yeah. All right. So it's first. It's in First Kings, verse uh, chapter eighteen, verse twenty. Right. So this is it. So this is, this is the barbecue showdown. You'll see what's a barbecue showdown in a minute. So Ahab summoned. Ahab was the king at the time. Summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets, to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was just a high place, so it was just a good a good place to be. Elijah challenged the people. How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your mind. So you imagine this. So on the one hand, you've got the prophets of Baal on this mountain. On the other hand, you've got the one and only prophet of God that's left, that's willing to speak up and stand up. And then everyone else that's around, circling the mountain, is just the, let's call them the audience. They're the, they're the crowd. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's quite hard to stick your head out of the crowd. Sometimes it's hard to speak up when there's a crowd around, particularly when it seems like a single solitary voice versus like a big, loud, angry mob. Now, but I have to believe that if all of Israel was basically, particularly the prophets, was taken to this one mountain, 451 people is actually completely out, um, completely outnumbered by the crowd that was there today. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've been in plenty of situations where one or two really vocal minorities, and then there's one person willing to stand up and say something, and then there's everyone else that doesn't say anything. Like, I don't know, like, I see that at school quite often. The one person that's willing to stand up, the loud group, the crowd. Okay? This is the people. And so this is, so Elijah challenged the people. He's not challenging the prophets of Baal. He's challenging the people that are there that are listening, okay? How long are you going to sit on the fence if God is the real God, follow him? If it's Baal, follow him, make up your minds. Now remember, the Israelites, they were God's people. And so somewhere along the line, they decided to listen to the louder voice. But this is what, they, this is what happens. Nobody said a word. Nobody made a move. Now, I don't know about that, but that's super awkward. <laughs> so Elijah stands up and says, man, pick a side. And no one says anything. Awkward. Now, I don't know about you. Um, it's, some, it's, one of the, um, it's one of the more difficult things that I think back on sometimes. But we've all had those moments where we look back, and, or look back later and realize that in a situation, we should have stood up and we should have spoke up. But instead, we were a part of the silent majority. 
See, the thing is, is that the prophets of Baal, the loud people, they weren't the majority. Elijah was definitely not the majority. But there was this other group, the silent majority, that actually, they were the people who chose the culture that was happening. They chose which God that was actually going to be followed. Anyway. Then Elijah said, I am the only prophet of God left in Israel, and there are 450 prophets of Baal. Let the Baal prophets bring up two oxen. Let them bring, uh, pick one, butcher it, and lay it out on an altar on firewood, but don't ignite it. I'll take the other ox, cut it up, and lay it on the wood, but neither will I light the fire. Then you pray to your gods, and I'll pray to God. The God who answers with fire will prove to be, in fact, God. All the people agreed. A good plan. Let's do it. Elijah told the Baal prophets, choose your ox and prepare it. You go first. You're the majority. Then pray to your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the ox he had given them, prepared it for the altar, then prayed to Baal. They prayed all morning long. I don't know about you, but uh, have you ever had those times where you feel like you've prayed all morning long and nothing happens? The heavens are steely. O Baal, answer us, but nothing happened, not so much as a whisper of a breeze. Desperate, they jumped and stomped on the altar they had made. (laughs) Anyone ever had a tanty in front of God before? You're not listening! You're not listening! By noon, Elijah had started making fun of them, taunting, Call a little louder, he's a god after all. Maybe he's off meditating somewhere or another. Or maybe he's gotten involved in a project, or maybe he's on vacation. You don't suppose he's overslept, do you, and needs to be woken up? They prayed louder and louder. Um, One of the translations, and I love this translation, one of the translations is, um, is your God on the toilet? Maybe maybe he's in the bathroom right now. No, seriously, it's the um, New King James. (laughs) They prayed louder and louder, cutting themselves with swords and knives, a ritual common to them until they were covered with blood. They went on until well past noon. They used every religious trick and strategy they knew to make something happen on the altar, but nothing happened, not so much as a whisper, not a flicker of response. There's been times that I've prayed before where I honestly think that if I just pray in this, the right way, or if I just um, sacrifice the right thing, that God would move. And I, I don't think that that's actually the case. That's actually, that's actually not of God. This went on to, uh, then Elijah told the people, enough of that, it's my turn. Gather around. And they gathered. He then put the altar back together, for by now it was in ruins, because it had a big tanty on it. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Jacob, the same Jacob to whom God had said, from now on your name is Israel. He built the stones into the altar in honor of God. Then Elijah dug a fairly wide trench around the altar, He laid firewood on the altar, cut up the ox, put it on wood and said, fill four buckets with water and drench both the ox and the firewood. Then he said, do it again. And they did it. Then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The altar was drenched and the trench was filled with water. Why would Elisha do that? I honestly believe one of the reasons that Elisha did that is um, to make 100% for sure so that the prophets of Baal couldn't go, oh, well, we just warmed it up for you. It was just about to burst into flames, but no, drenched three times, so there's no way. So it's now impossible without God. When it came time for the sacrifice to be offered, Elijah the prophet came up and said, O God, 
God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and that I'm doing what I'm doing under your orders. I love that. His prayer is not actually about this is what I want you to do, God. It's actually Elijah reporting in. Just doing what you wanted me to do. Now you need to show up. Answer me, God. Oh, answer me and reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you are giving these people another chance at repentance. See, that's the thing when it comes to contention and contending for people. Good contention is going to result in people repenting. Good contention is going to, like repentance is just another word for changing your mind. So good contention will give people another chance at changing their mind. I love the fact that it's interesting that Elijah never asked for the fire to fall. God, make the fire fall. He never asked that. He just got in line for what God's plan was for his people. God, it's your plan to give people another chance to turn to you. He was willing to stand up and speak up when everyone else was okay to sit down and shut up. It goes on in verse 38. It says, immediately, I love the and suddenlies of God. I love the fact that sometimes it's and suddenly, like God immediately does something. But you know what? And this is one of the things that I've um, had to deal with for myself is that I need to be okay with the and gradualies as well. It's good to have the and suddenlies, like suddenly they were healed. Suddenly their life changed. Suddenly. But actually, and gradually is an answer to prayer. And gradually they were healed. And gradually their life changed. And gradually God walked with them until they were at a point that they could accept them. The fire of God fell and burned up the offering, the woods, the stone, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. That's the fire of God. Here's, look at the response of the crowd. Not the prophets of Baal, the crowd. All the people saw it happen and fell on their face in awed worship. When God shows up, our response as Christians is to worship. Our response as anyone is to worship. Exclaiming, God is the true God. God is the true God. Good contention when we contend for something. Good contention will lead people to God. Bad contention... When we engage in something in such a way where it's not done in love, where it's not done in such a way that it takes, um, uh, takes into, the, into account the other person's um, opinion or beliefs or worldview or whatever else you want to put into that thing, bad contention is like bad sportsmanship. It'll leave people less likely to engage again. I might just do contend today, actually. When we talk to God, we talk to God not to convince Him of our perspective or our opinion. We talk to God to get our heart in line with His heart and our plan in line with His plan. We move from our perspective to His perspective. Have you ever been in a situation where you've, um, you look at situations and you ask the parties, now, I now I've, we've done this with our kids before, and it's quite often like pouring gasoline on the fire. 
So, walk into a room. Charlie's got something broken at her feet. Ash is crying in the corner, right? And it's often happened when, and we ask the parties, what's going on here? And suddenly Charlie will come up with her side of the story. Asher will hear Charlie's side of the story and Asher will immediately disagree with that. He'll immediately get defensive and go, that's not what happened, that's not the truth, this is what happened. How often do we do that in our situations, in our lives? Walk into a situation and we go, what's going on here? We can look at Charlottesville and go, ask the parties, what's going on here? What happens in that situation is offence becomes easy to take. And, defense, and you immediately become defensive. Now take the same, same situation. So same situation, whatever it is. And rather than pointing it towards the parties involved, point it towards God instead and see what a difference it is. So you see someone that's in a certain situation. You see someone that's hurting. You see someone that's lost. You see someone that's broken. You see someone that's um, doing something that they really shouldn't. And rather than necessarily asking me, what's going on here? What are you doing? Point that towards God. So take the same situation, point it to God and go, God, what's going on here? See, the thing is, is that when we ask God what's going on here, it looks a lot like discernment. Discernment just basically means that wisdom, we're asking for God's perspective on a situation before we start wading into it. It's really funny because quite often, 90% of the time it is Charlie's fault. It just just happens to be... What happens, but for the ten percent, but for the ten percent that it's not Charlie's fault, because Ash is right ninety percent of the time, or it feels like Ash is right ninety percent of the time, we actually miss the point for Charlie. Yeah. So Charlie gets away with murder sometimes, and Charlie uh, Ash gets away with murder sometimes, and Charlie gets away with nothing. That's first child syndrome. First child gets justice, <laughs> second child gets mercy, and if there's a middle child, no one remembers. No, that's it. That's it. <laughs> So this is the thing. We need to be able to contend in public. And we need to be able to contend in private. Now for some of us, some of us will be great at contending in public. Some of us will be great at speaking up when we see something that's not okay. Some of us will be great at contending in private. We'll be able to see a situation and go to God and go, God, what's going on here? How can I help? How do you see this situation? How do you see this person? And see, when we do that, we can actually start speaking truth and life into people. We can start speaking truth and life into situations. When we speak the truth, we need to be able to speak the truth in love, otherwise it hurts people. Alright? And we need God to be able to do that. Alright. I think that's enough for today. I, um... We're going, to put a song on, we're going to put a song on, but I guess um, there's probably two groups of people here. Um, there's those of you um, that are still replaying, uh, replaying, as I've been speaking, been replaying situations in your head where you should have spoken up, and you didn't, and there's regret, and there's hurt, and there's um, guilt, and there's shame there. Um, The great thing about God is he doesn't want you to live in guilt and shame. The great thing about God is he doesn't want you to live in conviction. The great thing about God is that the whole point of conviction, the whole point of feeling that, 
is to actually lead to repentance. Now, repentance is not necessarily saying, I'm sorry for this. Sometimes it just means changing your mind, turning around, taking a different direction. This is the direction that I was going. Lord, I'm so... And so when it comes to repentance, you can... When it comes to repentance, you can say sorry to God. And go, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. Help me to be the person that would stand up and speak up in those situations. Give me a supernatural boldness and a bravery to be able to speak up. Let your Holy Spirit lead me so that I'd have the words to speak. So that I'd be able to speak the truth and love in such a way that it wouldn't hurt people. But it would enable them to lead them to repentance. So that's the first group of people. If you're living your life around one incident or one thing, or if you're, you can think of, like, it's easy to know. Right now you're going through three or four things of, um, like, that Hagrid moment. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. And you think back on it, and it, there's actually still a sting to it. God doesn't want you to live in that place anymore. God doesn't want you to live in that place anymore. It's okay to repent. Oh, Lord, I got that so wrong. But teach me how you would how you'd have me speak. Teach me how you would have me um, speak up. Um, for uh, the other group of people that I think is those that are... Um, those that have been contending in public when they should have been contending in private. So maybe that group of people that you get halfway through a Facebook conversation and you're like, whoop. <laughs> that's, that's gone a bit wrong. My suggestion or uh, my encouragement for you today is to come before God and go, God, help me to have discernment between when I should contend in public and when I should contend in private. Help me to be one that would bring my thoughts, my struggles, my wrestles to you. Because it's not people that I wrestle with, it's powers and principalities that I wrestle with. And so that's my message for today. One of the, one of the functions for prayer is to contend. One of the functions for prayer is to come to God and help to have a new perspective, a new direction, a new um, idea around where you can speak into situations. You can ask God what's going on here. How do you see this situation? How can I help? Let me pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you so much that you call us to be part of contending for your kingdom, that it's your will that heaven be brought to earth, that it's your will that, um, that we would be ones that would stand up and contend for things that are important. Lord, help our voice to be heard, but also give us wisdom to be able to speak in such a way that we could uh, engage with people and continue to keep a conversation going, Lord, that it wouldn't be a case of winning an argument, it would be a case of having a conversation. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment when it comes to the words that we speak and help us to point towards you when it's time to um, bring our frustrations and our wrestles to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.